0: God has really blessed BWC with a fantastic music ministry, hasn't he? Give him a round of praise. I have a love, and it's a love of a large diet, lemonade, no ice, please. You guys know what I'm talking about? I was walking around this morning, and a couple of people are like, Wait, wait, where did you get that? How did you, how, is it empty? No, it had. Diet lemonade, no ice in it. I happen to have a supplier. Yeah. <laughs> Namely, one of my sons who happens to work at the Chick-fil-A in Chuxler You may or may not have seen him if you've gone there from time to time. I have an M on the top so that they all know this is mom's. This is mom's, leave it alone. Truett Cathy grew up in a single parent home. Lived through the Great Depression, served in the army during World War II. When he came back, he started a single restaurant in 1946 down in Georgia. While still running his first store, the Civil Rights Movement started in Atlanta. And Truett decided he wanted to serve all ethnicities, not just through the back door, but through the front door, welcoming everyone to enter together and enjoy eating, even if it meant losing a couple of customers. Later on, when some competitors started to grow quickly, Truett decided to remind his company that they would focus on being better, not better bigger, confident that if they put people before numbers, the numbers would grow. Truett decided to remain closed on Sundays, promised not to sing the song. Some of you who are my generation don't know that, but I have teens, so I do. (laughs) He decided to stay closed on Sundays. He wanted to give families the chance to be together He wanted to give people the chance to go to church. He wanted everybody to know that God and then people was more important than anything else. How did that work out for him? Well, it's been reported that Chick-fil-A stores make, on average, per day each year, more than McDonald's, Starbucks, and Subway combined. Before passing away, he had written six books, won numerous awards, met presidents, and when he retired from his privately owned company, it was making nearly $6 billion a year and continuing to grow. You see, he understood that when you love God, then people, the rest will follow. In the verses that we've been concentrating on over the last couple of weeks, Paul is talking to the church of Corinth to address problems that they were having, to instruct and to inspire them. You see, they were kinda getting the idea of what it was that they're supposed to be doing or how it was that they're supposed to act or look like on a weekend at a service, but they were missing the mark when it came to loving each other and loving their neighbors. In these verses of the chapter, He gives us a description of how love is supposed to operate, not just in a marriage, but among all people. I looked up the particular verse that we're concentrating on today and my particular phrase in several different versions. One said, love does not demand its own way. Another, love is not selfish. Love isn't always me first. Love God than people. There's a quote that says, love is not an act, it's a reflection of your soul. And we have all been created to reflect God. We wanna be set apart, known for our selfless love because we've experienced that same love when God gave his one and only son to die on the cross for our sins. And Jesus He died a horrific death on that cross, not just physically but spiritually when he was separated from his father in heaven. That is sacrificial love. Watchman Nee is a Chinese evangelist who tells of a Christian he once knew in China. He was a rice farmer and his fields were really high up on a mountain and every day he would go out and he would water his fields and every morning he would get up and he would check on his fields and they would be dry because the neighbor below him who did not have a personal relationship with Jesus thought it would be okay to open the dikes and allowed all of the water to flow from the Christian farmer's fields into his own. For a while, The Christian farmer thought he was just gonna let this injustice go. But then he began to realize, how long can I let this happen? Eventually my own fields are going to dry up and I'm going to be left with nothing. So he gathered some of his fellow Christians together, they prayed, they met, and they came up with a plan. The next morning, the Christian farmer got up early and he went to his neighbor's field first watered his field, and then he went to his own. The evangelist tells of how the neighbor became a Christian, his unbelief overcome by a genuine demonstration of Christ's selfless love of others through that one farmer. Love does not demand its own way. It isn't selfish and it isn't about me first, our love should reflect God and draw others to Him. So whether you're an owner of a company that's making six, seven, eight figures in a year, or you're a stay-at-home parent doing the difficult work of raising littles, love God, then love people. The Gospels recorded Jesus' saying from Deuteronomy That we are all to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And then he goes on to say, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is a commandment. As you leave today, we want to encourage you to do just that. So in the back, we have two tables set up, and on each table are two bowls. And in each bowl is an opportunity for you to actually put into practice that kind of selfless love that reflects the command to love God and to love your neighbors. One bowl is marked with an I can do it. This is for those of you who might be thinking, ah, this is kinda new, I'm not too sure about it, but I'm willing to give it a try since BWC said, go for it, and I know Jesus commanded it. In that bowl, you will find ideas like, leave someone a kind note. Hold the door open for someone. Let someone go in front of you in line and don't roll your eyes at them. (laughs) The other bowl is marked with stepping out. This is a little bit more of a commitment. It's asking you to do just that. Step out of your comfort zone. Maybe have a little bit more oomph behind what you're doing. In it, you might find things like bringing dinner to someone, taking care of yard work, baking cookies for firefighters, inviting a new neighbor or church attendee or co-worker over to your house. People don't do that anymore, do they? Invite them to your home. Let them know that you love them. So on your way out, we want to continue to pick up two, three, four. Don't stand there trying to find the one that just fits what you think you might be able to do. Grab a pile and do it. Church, this is your chance to make a mark on your community, not for yourself, but so that you can reflect God's love to others, to those who may need it the most.
1: Hi there, this is gonna be a uh, first in a series of training videos uh, this first one is for the turn signal. Uh, for those of you who don't know where it is located, it's located just to the left side of the steering wheel. And it's used in all instances whenever you're making a left-hand turn or a right-hand turn. And that includes any turns on the freeway as well when you're making a lane change. Uh, it's very easy to use. All you got to do is take your hand on it and pull it down if you want to make a left-hand turn. You know you're doing the right thing if you see your blinker blinking up there. And then uh, when you want to make a right-hand turn or change lanes on the freeway, you just put the blinker up like this. You, put, uh, you push it up toward the top, and then the right side uh, flasher will start flashing right there. It's used at all times when you're making turns, wherever you are and whenever you're making them. This is the first in a series of training videos, and for those of you who don't know what a blinker is or a turn signal, uh, consider yourself now informed.
2: There's someone in this room that needed to see that video today. <laughs> if you're like me, you love to hop in your car. For me, it's my Jeep. I roll the windows down. I take the top off, usually without the kids in the car because that just adds to the chaos. But I love driving around, wind through my balding head, uh, music up, and just driving through these Pennsylvania roads, the mountains, everything. I just love getting out and driving. But there's nothing that will take that joy away faster than someone that doesn't know what that little stick on the left side of the steering column does. Right? You've been there, someone's cut you off, they've turned in front of you, whatever, and they didn't use their directional indicator. And it just makes your blood curdle. Some of you are sitting here right now and your blood is boiling because you just know And if your blood isn't boiling, that's because that's you that needed to see that video. You're the one not using your turn signal. We all have things that make us angry. I'm not excluded from this. It's something that I I deal with daily. Sometimes we have to call it holy anger, right? We call it this holy anger. We, We get angry at injustices, right? People being wronged. Some of you are angry at a person Right now, some of you are angry at something that hasn't gone your way, the way that you planned it to. Some of you might be angry tonight after the football game. And some of you are angry right now at me because I'm talking about anger. But I encourage you to listen in to what Paul is saying. He's trying to get this message across that it's not just about doing God's work, and doing it well, right? There's lots of really great charities and organizations around the world that do good. But there's one thing that makes the church and Christians different than those that just do good, and that's Jesus. Having Jesus behind the why. We can do a lot of things that are good to do, but it's not much different than the others. This agape love that Paul is talking about, it fills our lives so that we can pour out into others. It's not a cure-all, right? When we, we accept Christ into our hearts and we're like, oh man, this is going to be great. Everything's going to be honky-dory. Wrong, right? It, we think like, oh, maybe if I accept Jesus, my anger will go away. It's not a cure-all. It's a decision that we have to make every single day. Having God's love in our heart won't remove frustrations like people that don't know how to use their turn signals. We still feel these frustrations when things are not the way that they should be. Instead, it helps us in our response when these frustrations arise. We can respond differently when we we allow the agape love of Christ to flow through us as it gives us the power to express our anger in a more appropriate way. Paul is talking about making the daily choice to share love, but not just share love in our words, but also in our actions that we choose in our daily lives. James chapter 1, verse 19 and 20 says this, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. You see, the trouble that we see with anger is that when we allow it to take over and allow it to dictate the words that we're saying, we hurt people. We hurt those around us. We use harsh language that tears down. It might not even be directed towards someone specifically. You might be in line waiting for something and you just start getting impatient and then your words and your actions start to affect those that are around you. And then as Christians, people see us and they see the anger and they say, is that how all Christians are? Is that how God is? Ethan Linder is a pastor at College Wesleyan and an editor for the Wesleyan Church and in a recent article that he titled, If I Have Not Love... He wrote this, our work fundamentally is an exercise in saying yes to the Holy Spirit. As God helps us take on the character of Christ, that yes can be so small that we barely even notice it, like pausing just for five seconds to check our heart and our tone before responding to someone who's tempting us toward anger. Or it can be bigger, like reaching out to rebuild a fractured relationship and unpoisoning that relationship from held, long-held offenses. But, big or small, our only work is that of partnership, aligning our will with God's character in the small habits that over time harden into character and help us to live a life of Christ-like love. You know, as I began
3: to prepare for this sermon and speak about the idea that love keeps no record of wrongs, it was a very good reminder to me of how much my wife loves me. If we think about just this last week, there were multiple occasions I forgot to empty the trash can. One night I forgot to bring home dinner when I was working later. And even this morning when she woke up, she said, honey, did you start the dishwasher last night? <laughs> and in that moment, it's just like life slowed down. And I was like, how can I fix this? The dishwasher takes three hours. I wasn't, I wasn't going to take, you know, it, it just didn't work out. If she wrote this record of wrongs, right, if she kept an official record, it wouldn't be a little letter. It wouldn't be a nice postcard. It would be a whole big book. And all the wives in Cherryville, Pennsylvania and online said, amen. <laughs> yes. When we look at the love described in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're reminded of the way God loves us. And here in our scripture, Paul is telling the church in Corinth and those listening to his words today that this is part of the way we are supposed to love others. At the time of Paul's letter, he's addressing a church where different people from the congregation are bringing these lawsuits against each other. Wrongs have been done, and people want immediate repayment. They want justice, and they're dragging each other to court instead of working things out among themselves. Keeping no record of wrongs wasn't their natural reaction. In fact, it was the opposite of the way they were living Now as you look around this room and see all of the people here, I hope you don't see a bunch of people that are trying to take you to court. But even in this church, it is possible that you could find someone who has hurt you or betrayed you in some way. And if not here, then maybe someone close to you you never expected to have a broken relationship with. And in these moments when people have hurt us, when people have damaged us, when people have wronged us, Paul isn't trying to say there are no consequences for actions. There are. But what he's addressing in this moment is how we respond to those occasions. Now, I don't know about you, but one of the things I've been difficult with and have done in the past is when people do something wrong, I kind of tuck it away and I use it as something to hold over them, as a a weight to maybe hold over them. And what can happen is we, we keep this record of wrongs, right, that we're ready to pull out whenever we're feeling hurt. And the ironic thing is usually we do this because we think remembering gives us power. It gives us control over the person who has wronged us. But friends, let me tell you, when you do that, the opposite happens. We get covered in weakness, bringing more hurt, bitterness, and hatred into our lives. Can I tell you that the only way I believe you can keep No record of wrongs is to truly forgive. And if you're listening today and you're saying, well, guess what? I don't want to forgive. I hope Jesus' words can give you some motivation. As he was teaching his disciples one day, crowds began to gather around Jesus to hear what he had to say. And part of what Jesus taught on this specific occasion was about prayer. In fact, the prayer he taught that day is the most well-known prayer we have today, the Lord's Prayer. And so as part of his instruction, one of the lines he gives us to remember when we're praying is, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. But Jesus doesn't stop there in Matthew chapter 6. Verses 14 through 15, he says, For if you forgive others when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And so we see that forgiveness cannot only fix broken relationships, but it becomes clear that forgiveness is there for our benefit as individuals as well. A love that keeps no record of wrongs is a love that is worthwhile. So what's the bottom line here? What is Paul trying to tell the church and each of us listening today? Simply put, it's better to be wronged than unloving and unforgiving. Choosing to love in difficult circumstances might not be our natural reaction, but I am grateful to serve a God who leads by example when it comes to love. In fact, Jesus displayed the ultimate example of love on the cross when he took the sins of the world upon himself and died for us even though we didn't deserve it. I have a feeling that for some of you listening today, the record of wrongs you're keeping is a record of your own life. Maybe you're here right now in person or listening online and you're wondering if God could truly forgive you. If God could truly love you with everything you have done. But let me tell you, as Jesus was hanging on the cross, looking at the very people who had physically put him there, the Bible tells us this in Luke chapter 23, verse 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Your sin and mine is part of the reason Jesus died on the cross. But in the same way Jesus looks at the crowds and offers forgiveness, he looks at us and offers us a new opportunity for new life, to trust in him as our Lord and Savior. And so right now, if you want to take that step this morning and you haven't had the opportunity, I want to provide you with a moment to pray. This prayer that we're going to pray in a moment, it's not some magic formula that saves us. It's not some weird ritual, but it's an opportunity to start a conversation with God. To say, I want to put you first as my Lord and Savior. So right now, with everyone's eyes closed and heads bowed, repeat this prayer after me in your heart and mind if you want to begin a relationship with Jesus today. Simply pray, God, I know that I have sinned and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins, Jesus, and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In your name amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time today, we would love for you to mark that in your in-person or online connect cards. That will give us the opportunity to reach out and share some next steps this very week. For each of us who have received God's gift of love either today or sometime in the past, be reminded that this love wasn't designed just to be shown from God to us. This is the very love that God has called us to take out into the world and display to people everywhere. And so today, I ask each of you, what does this truth from Scripture mean for your life? What relationships do you need to work on applying a love that keeps no record of wrongs to? And how could loving like Jesus change your life and others? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this truth from your word. Even in the midst of difficult circumstances, please help us to be a light of love. God, today, for those who maybe have trouble expressing love in certain relationships, I pray that they would look to your example to be reminded that you are the God who loves freely, who forgives freely, and you have called us to do the same. Help us to be a bright light in a dark world. We love you. We praise you. And it's in your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.